Hello, Internet. We're so glad to have you with us today. This is Glenn. And this is Linda. And as we record our program today, we pray all is well with you, and God is blessing all of you. At the time of this recording, it's July, and you know what happens this month. Yes, it gets hot. Yes, but that's not what I mean. Oh, really? What kind of awesome thing are you talking about? Our anniversary isn't until next month. Well, that's right. Oh, you mean your... Yeah, my birthday. It sure is, and it's a big one, isn't it? My goodness, I cannot believe I turned 80 this year. God has been so good, hasn't he? He certainly has, and I love him so much. His calling on our lives has been such a blessing and joy, and we are eternally grateful. It's wonderful to know that our God, who knew us in eternity past, has placed a call to us that is so wonderfully magnificent. Jesus is tenderly calling thee home, calling today, calling today. Why from the sunshine of love without Rome, farther and farther away. Calling today, goes the chorus. Calling today. Jesus is calling, is tenderly calling today. Jesus is calling the weary to rest, calling today, calling today. Bring him thy burden, and thou shalt be blessed. He will not turn thee away. Jesus is waiting. Oh, come to him now. Waiting today, waiting today. Come with thy sins at thy feet, at his feet, lowly bow. Come and no longer delay. Jesus is pleading, O list to his voice, hear him today, hear him today. They who believe on his name shall rejoice, quickly arise and away. A blind 60-year-old songwriter named Fanny Crosby, she lived in 1820 to 1915. And then a 34-year-old musician named George Stebbins, who lived 1846 to 1945, they teamed up to produce this tender invitation hymn. Fanny Crosby spent most of her life in New York City, where she went to rescue missions in the Bowery neighborhood to tenderly call alcoholics, homeless people, and wayward teens and children to the Savior. Crosby had been blind since the age of six weeks, but she still wrote over 8,000 songs in her lifetime. George Stebbins had been raised on the farm and had been introduced to music by learning to play the accordion. Soon he began the new trend in church music by arranging songs for male quartets. When evangelist died out, Dwight L. Moody went to England In Scotland, he took George, as a young man, with him, and George saw thousands of people respond to the tender call of Jesus Christ. Shortly after George returned from England, he was given the words that Fanny Crosby had written, and he wrote the music. George Stevens was an evangelist who worked with Dwight Moody and Ira Sankey. He was a leader of the scenes at the summer conferences the men held. 
He died just four months shy of his 100th birthday in 1945. God sometimes speaks through the thunder and lightning, but more often he speaks to our hearts tenderly with a still small voice saying, Come home. Jesus is tenderly calling you home. And it's a hymn that's often used as an invitational hymn in our churches. The first time it appeared, it appeared in Gospel Hymns Number 4, which was published in 1883. In 1924, Stebbins wrote his memoirs and reminiscences, which provide a, a, an interesting insight into his life and work. He stated that there was no incident which occasioned the writing of Miss Crosby's text or his melody to accompany it, and that neither the words nor the music impressed him as having more than an ordinary merit. Thus he was surprised at the popularity and success of it as an invitation song in his evangelistic work. The hymn encourages us to answer and obey the calling upon our lives with our burdens, our joys, and right now. The hymn has gone on to appear in numerous other hymnals over the years and remains a popular invitational hymn today. How is Jesus calling you today? The song mentions several aspects of Jesus' call of invitation. Stanza 1 says that Jesus is calling us to come to him today. Jesus is tenderly calling me home, calling today, calling today. Why from the sunshine of love will that roam, farther and farther away? If a person needs to obey the gospel today, is the only time that he has assurance of being able to do so. Hebrews 3.15 says, while it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. As the Son of Righteousness, he calls us today into the sunshine of his love, as we see in Malachi 4.2. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves, like the prodigal son, so many wander farther and farther away. And then in Luke fifteen eleven through 13, we see then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. In stanza two, Jesus is calling us to come to him with our burdens. Jesus is calling the weary to rest, calling today, calling today. Bring him thy burdens and thou shalt be blessed. He will not turn you away. Jesus promised us rest from our sin so that we can have hope and eternal rest when this life is over. We read in Revelations fourteen thirteen it says, Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, 
that they may rest from all their labors and their works follow them. But to have this rest, we must bring our burdens to him as we see in Psalms 55, 22. Cast your burdens on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He'll never permit the righteous to be moved. Thus, our response must be like the blind Barnabas who arose and came with his burden of blindness and found healing from Jesus, as we find that in Mark 10:46-52, It reads, Now they came to Jericho. As he went out to Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Barnabas, the son of Timus, sat on the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and says, Jesus, son of Nazareth, have mercy on me. Then he warned him, many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying in him, Be good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he arose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabbi, that I may receive my sight. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Stanza 3 says that Jesus is calling us to come to him now. Jesus is waiting. Oh, come to him now. Waiting today, waiting today. Come with thy sins at his feet lowly bow. Come and no longer delay. Paul reminds us that when it comes to being saved, now is the accepted time, because now is the time of salvation. In 2 Corinthians 6, 2, it says, For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We need to come to him now, because we need to do something now about our sins. Romans 3.23 says, For all who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, we must come to his feet and lowly bow. This is symbolic of the attitude of complete obedience that must characterize those who come to Jesus. Hebrews 5, 8 through 9, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Now, in stanza four, it says that Jesus is calling us to him for joy. Jesus is pleading, oh, listen to his voice. Hear him today. Hear him today. They who believe on his name shall rejoice. Quickly, arise and away. We must listen to the voice of Jesus because God speaks to us through him. In Matthew 73, we read, 
And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And then in uh, uh, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, God, who where it says, at various times and various ways spoken to him, passed to the fathers by the prophets, as in the last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir to all things, through whom also he made his words. Those who listen to Jesus and obey his word can rejoice. Because it says in Psalms 89:16, In your name they rejoice all day long, and in your righteousness they are exalted. And in Philippians 4:4, 4, 4, Jesus in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. But again, this rejoicing can be experienced only by those who come to him in obedience to his word, as we see in Acts 8.26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go to the south along the road, which goes down to Jerusalem, to Gaza. This is the desert. The chorus of our song reiterates the fact that Jesus calls us to come to him. Calling today, calling today, Jesus is calling, is tenderly calling today. It encourages those who need to obey the gospel not to wait, but to take the opportunity that they have. Originally published with the scripture reference, Arise, he calleth thee, John eleven twenty eight. This is a very effective hymn of invitation to remind the lost that Jesus is tenderly calling. And Jesus is calling us to a wonderful resurrection with him in the new heaven and the new earth. Do you ever think of our resurrection? We have a glimpse of what ours will be like when we examine the record of Christ's resurrection. That will compare with ours, and it's a major part of our Christian faith. It shows us what our resurrected selves will be like. The scripture has much to say about this, and we can tell much about much more about what we will be like by looking at Jesus' resurrection. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians fifteen forty-two through 44 So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, and it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. The term spiritual body is not a material body made of spirit. There really isn't such a thing. The body Paul is talking about is flesh and bones. It will still be a spiritual body, but it will be under the control of a saved and righteous spirit. When God made man from the dust of the earth, he made us to live on the earth, not float in the air. Our spirit and body makes us a complete human. He did not design us to be disembodied spirits, as Greek philosophy teaches, but many Christians believe this. To be with Christ in the present heaven is far better than living on the earth under a curse. But Paul teaches in that 
we will not be eternally complete until our resurrection. When Jesus was resurrected, he was more than a ghost. In 1 John 3, 2, it says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. After Christ's resurrection, we see a preview of what resurrected people will do, including preparing and eating food, talking with people, and traveling. If Jesus had just been a ghost, we would become ghosts. If Jesus had only been a ghost, redemption wouldn't have been accomplished. Jesus told his disciples in Luke 24, 39-43, Behold my hands and feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see for us. The spirit does not have flesh and bones as I have. As you can see, I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still didn't believe because of their joy and excitement, and they marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of boiled fish and some honeycomb. And And he took it, and he ate it in their presence. Jesus proved he was not a ghost. He showed them. In Philippians 3.21, we read, Who will transform our lowly, lowly bodies that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working of which he is able even to subdue all things to himself? We can see then that our glorified bodies will be like his in resurrection. In Acts 1.11, the angel who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus lived among them forty days before ascending. Is the same Jesus in soul and body who will return to raise his people's bodies from the grave. Jesus didn't immediately ascend to heaven. Maybe that was to show his design for resurrected people was to live on a physical earth. When I engage people in conversation or see posts on social media from uh, scripture-believing Christians, I see statements like, heaven gained another angel today, or when someone... They have, that's when someone that they love has passed on. Or perhaps they talk about getting their wings in heaven and becoming angels when we die. Media, media has given us the idea that after death, we don't, we're not really humans. No one wants to become something that's not human, something unknown, nebulous, or this kind of creature. It's no wonder that few Christians look forward to heaven. No one is drawn to the idea of being inhuman. Jesus clearly taught that resurrection does not happen one at a time when we die. Scripture portrays resurrection as a matter of continuity from our present into our future lives. John five twenty-eight 28-29 says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good 
to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Self-same and none other unequivocally means we will still be us, not just a far better version of us. In Job 19, 25-27, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. How my heart yearns within me. Peter said in Acts 3.21, Whom heaven must receive until the times of respiration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all holy prophets since the world began. How could you say it stronger than God promising he will restore everything? Restoration is about bringing back the original good, which requires getting rid of the bad. The first man and woman were human beings with both body and spirit, both before sin and after sin. We will not become a mist of void without substance after sin's destruction. We will be far better humans. The fundamental difference between our present and future selves will be our deliverance from sin, death, disease, and the curse, as we read in Romans 8, 21, 23. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Can you imagine what your glorious bodies will be like? Revelations twelve eighteen said the apostle describes the glorious Jesus as shining with an overwhelming power and brightness. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke to me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with garment down to his feet and girded about his chest with the golden band. His head and hair were like wool, white wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass, and if refined in the furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had his right hand seven stars, and out his, his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. But just as Moses and Elijah were glorified 
in a secondary sense in the transfiguration, so God's people will experience derivative glorification from Jesus. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And in Daniel 12, 1-3, At that time Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was, since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Our glorification will will involve a dramatic and marvelous transformation. What prepares us to participate in God's glory in his resurrected resurrection bodies? Our current suffering, Peter, 1 Peter 5, 1. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I whom am a fellow elder and witness of the suffering of Christ and also the partaker of glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock, who when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. Then we see in Second Corinthians 4.17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. We are called heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And in Romans 8:17, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, then we may also be glorified together. Finally, in Revelation 21:5, Jesus says of the new earth, Behold, I am making all things new. This means he will restore creation to its former precursor glory and likely give it greater beauty and wonder than original. We and the new world will become far better and in, in that sense far different. But we'll still be the same people without sin and it will still be the same world without evil and suffering. All will remain glorious Can you imagine life after this resurrection? Our thoughts can't come near the real resurrection, but we should certainly entertain these thoughts and study the scripture to learn about them. 
We know what bodies are like, and we know what the earth is like. We can imagine new bodies and a new earth without sin, death, and suffering. Peter says in 2 Peter 3.13, We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. If we don't think about it, you can't long for it. Psalms 139.14 says, Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. Our resurrected bodies and minds will be free from sin and disease and dementia. Our minds will certainly most likely function at levels we've never known. On the new earth, we'll still be finite, but no longer fallen, suggesting we'll continually experience discovery. Will our eyes function as telescopes and microscopes and see new colors? Will our ears recognize voices from miles away? In 1 Corinthians 6.20, we're commanded, glorify God in your body. What will we do forever and ever? Glorify God in our bodies. Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Forever we will eat and drink and do all else to the glory of God. We will worship Jesus not only when we gaze upon him and sing, but when we work, rest, explore, study, learn, and celebrate. Revelations 22 shows us God's plan for eternal heaven is a redeemed earth free from the curse, inhabited by active, embodied people. Wonderfully good news to all who imagine heaven to be dull, boring, and unearthly. On the new earth, Revelations 22.3 says, His servants will serve him. We will have things to do, places to go, people to see. Adam's sin destroyed our first dwelling place with God in, in the new heaven and earth. But, the, in the, but in the new heaven and the earth, civilization and dominion will be sanctified and glorified. Daniel 7.18 tells us the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and, it, and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. All of God's people will cultivate and develop the new earth and marvel at its wonders. We will surely write books, perform music, create art, play, laugh, meet new friends, discover, and travel on the new earth. How do we know? We do these things now, but not because we're sinners, but because we're humans made in God's image. Sin will cease. Image-bearing will not. Above all, we'll be joined to Christ in a perfect marriage that present present marriages in their finest moments. Ephesians 5, 21-33 says, Submitting to one another in fear of God. Wives, submit your, to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subjected to Christ, so let wives be 
their own, be subjected to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but she should be holy and without a blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of the body of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each of you in particular love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see and respect her husband. We can and do look forward to Resurrection Day. Our destiny is to rule under the King on the new earth to his glory. You and I will become all our Father intends us to be. That process begins here and now and will bear full fruit in his eternal kingdom. Together, we'll certainly serve and worship him with purified hearts, minds, and bodies, forever enjoying his vast and beautiful creation and sharing in boundless happiness. We will delight endlessly in our tenure. God, and incredibly, he will delight in us. Are you going with us in this wonderful place? We call the new heaven and new earth. Heaven is a most wonderful gift in all God's creation. And he has created it just for you. Now let's listen to Forgive and Do. Jesus is tenderly calling. Jesus is tenderly calling you home, calling today, calling today, why from the sunshine of love will you Bring him your burden 
shall be blessed. He will not turn you away. so much for listening to our podcast today. We trust it was a blessing to you. It makes our day when we hear someone that was blessed by our podcast for music. We'd love to get an email from you. Just send it to glenn.dawson at glenn.dawsonea.com That's G-L-E-N-N dot Dawson at Glenn G-L-E-N-N DawsonEA.com You can find all our information on our website at www.glendawsonea.com 
In addition to our email, you can find information about our Facebook page and Twitter information. You can also find links to our index of all our podcasts and links to all our music on YouTube. We hope you will enjoy those. And remember now, we love y'all. God be with you. And bye for now.